Hello and welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. I'm Nikki Miller, unfortunately not joined today by my co-host Chris Dixon, and I'm flying solo with Dr. Steven Rogelberg. This is such an incredible conversation, y'all. I'm so excited for you to hear from him. Dr. Steven Rogelberg is an organizational psychologist who holds the title of Chancellor's Professor at UNC Charlotte for Distinguished National, International, and Interdisciplinary Contributions. His last book, The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance, was recognized by the Washington Post as the number one leadership book to watch for. It's been featured on CBS This Morning, Freakonomics, HBR, NPR, Wall Street Journal, and BBC World. He was the inaugural winner of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology Humanitarian Award and just finished his term as president of SIOP, the largest professional organization in the world for IO psychology. This is such an incredible conversation. He's here to talk to us today about his book, The Lad We Met, which comes out on January 9th. And this is all about the the science behind one-on-one meetings. I don't know about y'all, but so often I get into these meetings and it's just could have been an email. The meeting could have been an email. And and so many of us move through our days and just have death by meeting. So many calendared meetings back to back. And the question becomes, how do we actually decide what's worth having a meeting? What's worth a one-on-one? What could have been an email? And this is just such a powerful conversation. Selfishly, I wanted to have him on the podcast so I could learn. And this did not disappoint. For those of you who have people who are reporting to you, those who report to someone in one-on-one meetings, I imagine all of us have a little bit of both. This is going to be such a powerful conversation for you to maximize the effectiveness of this meeting, of these meetings that you have, and also to understand how and why they're so important and how these one-on-ones can change your trajectory of your business and of your relationships with your team. This is such an incredible conversation. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. I am so excited. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Steven Rogelberg, who is an organizational psychologist. He hold the title of Chancellor's Professor at UNC Charlotte for Distinguished National, International, and Interdisciplinary Contributions. You wrote a... Uh, an incredible book, uh, The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. And today we are talking about Glad We Met, your new book coming out on January 9th. Thank you so much for being here, Stephen. I'm so excited to have you. It's my pleasure. I'm really glad to do this. Well, I told you selfishly before we jumped on, I I chose this interview personally for me because I just love one-on-one meetings. I know we spend so much time trying to get into these meetings, wanting them to be productive. And yet I see not only in my own organization, but in other organizations that we coach and train, this can be just the biggest time suck and eventually the biggest bane of people's existence within organizations. So talk to me about this book. How did this concept come about? I know this is something that you study so thoroughly, and I'm, I'm just so excited to ask you all the questions. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. So as an organizational psychologist, I'm really drawn to study topics that are practically really meaningful, that are not re- reaching their full potential, and then shed science on it and hope that science can unlock the potential benefits that exist. And when looking at the one-on-one meeting space, it's pretty much empty when it comes to evidence-based practices. You know, managers are basically just recycling the practices that they themselves have experienced. So it was a really wide open space. And I was super excited to do the science, do the work, and then put it all together 
and bring it to folks. And the neat thing about the book is it's really capturing both the art and the science. Unlike some other areas where you can be very prescriptive and say, do A, B, and C, in the world of one-on-ones, it doesn't work that way. You know, there's good evidence-based insights, but ultimately the manager has to identify the process that really fits their values and the values of their directs. Stephen, you just said something that I think is really important and worth expanding on a little bit more. You said managers effectively are just predicating what they have experienced in one-on-one meetings because we're not really taught how to do these effectively. So you're just predicating to your point, everything that you have experienced potentially with a manager before you. And if your meetings weren't great, not only are you walking into those meetings with the perspective that they shouldn't be valuable, but also you don't have a clue how to do them. And, but the worst thing is you think you know how to do that. <laughs> yes. So that's actually the biggest problem. So when we've studied one-on-ones, around 50% are rated as suboptimal, right? That's wow. horrible. 50%. 50%. And then, though, if you when you survey people, um, managers actually think they're doing a good job with them, and they're not aligned with their directs. The directs don't think they're doing as good of a job. And so you have suboptimal effectiveness coupled with a blind spot, which is the double whammy of misery. And then another thing to your point is, so I've interviewed probably at least a hundred um, HR leaders in the top, in the fortune 500. And I've only found one organization that provides training and guidance around one-on-one meetings. Wow. Yeah. One. So, one. So it's bonkers. Um, I mean, you've got this, this blind spot. You have suboptimal. You have organizations who are have their own blind spot. So here you have this activity, a one-on-one meeting that can truly be transformative for an organization that's just being neglected. And when it's being done, folks are just not doing a good job and actually might be causing harm. You also said something I want you to expand on because in, in to this point, you're saying that we think we're good at them. The other side doesn't think we're good at them. No one is teaching us how to communicate that both sides are not in agreement. We're just c- perpetually having these 50% meetings that aren't as effective as they could be. And obviously we're going to get into how they could be more effective. But you said something earlier I want you to expand on too, is that in these meetings, we have to teach these managers to, to have meetings based around their values, which is something at the one thing we believe in really heavily. So can you expand on that thought that you had? One-on-ones are very special activity. If you asked managers, tell me about your values as a leader, Invariably, you'll hear things like, I want to help people thrive. Um, I want to support people who work for me. I want to build my team. If you think about those values and how they can be enacted, one-on-ones are the engine behind that. So when a manager is either introducing one-on-ones or rebooting one-on-ones for their team, it shouldn't be framed as, okay, let's have another meeting because that's not what people want to hear. <laughs> Nobody wants but that. But what it should be framed as, no. What it should be framed as is that as your manager, I want to see you succeed. I want to do everything I can to help you on that journey. And to that end, I'd like to have these one-on-one meetings. But I want to really emphasize that these one-on-one meetings are meetings that I will facilitate and orchestrate, but they're about you. 
They're not about me. They're not about me getting into the weeds, checking every single piece of work that you've done or haven't done. It is a designated time for you to be seen, to be heard, to share your obstacles and challenges, and we could work through them. You need feedback, great, but it's a dedicated and predictable time where I just want to turn my full focus on addressing what's on your mind. It does not mean that we won't have conversations outside of this, but this is a commitment that I am absolutely going to make. So when you make that more values-based, right, and when it's framed as a values-based conversation, you know, people are like, wow, this is kind of neat. This manager actually is thinking non-selfishly. But ironically, it actually is still selfish, but not in a bad way. Because as your direct reports thrive, right, and are more successful, it only reflects well on you as a manager. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Well, and at the end of the day, our job, I believe, as managers is to not only get the most out of people, to to aspire for them with their permission, but also to unlock whatever those keys are. And I think the biggest challenge is, to your point, if you're always picking away at what did you achieve this way this week, and if those one-on-one meetings are constantly just about productivity and you can't open the meeting up or build enough trust in order for them to confide in you where they might be seeing challenges, I mean, you're never really going to get to the core of the issue. I always say in business, so often we, we we solve the problem at the end of the river because people keep falling in. Like we just keep pulling people out of the river, but eventually someone needs to think to walk up the river and, f- and figure out why everybody keeps falling in. And that to me is what you're saying is that you can, you can have these meetings and figure out where is all of this stemming from? Is that what you see in training this? It's, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, these one-on-ones, we don't, there's a couple of things that we want to avoid. We don't want them to be micromanaging sessions. We don't want them to fall into this just big status update trap. Um, we want them to be more than that, right? We can monitor work activities and status of work activities in many different ways. You know, so that will certainly emerge in these naturally, but it's just not the goal. And, you know, the goal is just this much bigger, thoughtful conversation around short-term issues, but also long-term issues, right? We want the employee to be able to think about their future. You know, we, we all hear, the, we, we know the popular adage that employees don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses. And in many regards, these one-on-ones help prevent that, right? These one-on-ones really help you demonstrate concern and support and leadership 
in so many ways, these one-on-ones are the stage for you as a leader. And, you know, when you think about excellent leadership, you know, it's, it's really about meaningful engagements, conversations on a foundation of safety. I love that. And you said you you gave the perfect setup for this meeting when you're when you're pitching this to your team. It's not, hey, let's get another meeting on the books. So you already walked us through how to set the meeting up so that they're excited about it. Walk us through what to do once you get in there, because I feel like that's where everything gets lost. Do we not have enough so, time I for mean, that today? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, you have three principal phases, right? You've got the start, the process and the end. And there's relevant issues across the board. So when we start, um, you know, this is where we want to make sure that the topics that we're discussing are truly meaningful. And a lot of managers think that these meetings don't need an agenda, but our research says that they actually do. And however, they can be very lightweight. It can just be a plan of action. But what's even more important about that plan of action is that the direct report is informing it. The more involved the direct is into the plan of action, the the higher the ratings of effectiveness. And that makes complete sense, right? Because when they're involved, it's that additional signal that this meeting is for them. So as we're starting to plan these things out, there's a, a number of different ways of creating agendas. One of my favorites that got good ratings is the listing approach, you know, where uh, directs create their list of topics that they'd like to talk about. You create your list of topics. But one of the keys is that when the direct is creating their list, you want to prime them of all the various things that could be discussed, right? Because they're going to fall into a status update trap and we don't want that. So you want to cue them to think about team, organization, what information they might need, you know, where are they going big picture. So cue them to come up with a well rounded list of topics. And and I share a whole host of examples in my book to help promote that. Now you create your own list. When you get into the meeting, there's almost like an exchange of lists, but your list is of secondary importance. We want to cover what's on the directs list. If there's natural points where you can insert your items, fine. But let's go through the directs list. And if there's time remaining, then we cover your list. So that helps to set the stage that this is a meeting for the direct. And then during the meeting, I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about. So I'm just going to say, I'll share one thing and then we can explore more. Um, But one of the most common mistakes is the manager talking more than their direct. And we need the direct to talk more than the manager. The more the manager talks, Ratings of effectiveness just keep dropping. And so this is hard, though, for managers. Managers do like to talk. And the research shows that we talk a lot because it seems to activate the same parts of our brain as sex and good food. So let's, you know, so obviously that promotes more talking and let's be sure to give that gift to the direct. The manager should be asking good questions, right? They should be probing. Help me understand. What can I do to help? you know, to really help, you know, clarify the the goals of the meeting. And I'll stop there, but we can talk about close as well or more about process, but I just want to queue up some of the topics. I, yeah, I want to, I definitely want to get to close and process, but I do, I do have all the questions for this, for this middle part, because I think that to your point, 
so many of us will walk into these meetings. Those those of us that manage people are going to walk into these meetings and we have an agenda, what we want to know, what we want to achieve. And it's going to take practice for us to turn it, turn it on turn it on its head and figure out why, what the employee needs, what our team member needs, why they're struggling or why they're winning or whatever it might be, whatever it is that we're there to unpack. And to your point, and I know you cover this in the book and there's some great suggestions in there, we have to get better at asking great questions, which for most managers, I have to believe is going to be an, an entirely different way of communicating and is going to take a lot of practice. So what's your advice for those people who, who are listening to this and saying, if I'm really self-reflective, I, I am the one talking in, in these meetings and I am the one who is taking up the majority of the airspace, air so to speak. So what's your advice for them to slow it down and to, to reorient those meetings, especially if it's someone they've been managing for a long time? So basically, you know, it's constantly reminding yourself about the, the goal of this meeting. And it's easy to forget, right? Because we do have our own needs, but this is just not the goal. I mean, the goal, this is just that one opportunity. It's just the one opportunity that we can shine the spotlight on what the employee's needs are. So it's just reminding ourselves and then learning more about active listening, right? So if the direct report is driving the agenda and you get into the, some more positive, healthy habits of asking why, help me understand, can you unpack this more? And, you know, so it's these cues to these new routines of just really good listening, right? So you have your, you have your theory that this is not for me. You are fully embracing that your job is to facilitate and ask good questions. And then during solutioning, you know, you're just constantly remind, you know, reminding the employee, you know, what are your thoughts about how to handle this? But interestingly, when we ask employees about their thoughts around solutions, we fall into another trap, which is when an employee suggests something, we often replace it with what's on what we think is the best solution. And this is highly problematic. Now, while managers can absolutely share their perspective, really, we want to be attentive to whether our solution and their solution you know, do they really meaningfully differ? Is there a big and important gap between them? If there's not a big and important gap, use their solution, right? That conveys respect. And also, uh, you know, the employee will be more dedicated to, you know, fully, um, you know, being motivated to enact the solution. And it might just work. You don't know if yours is going to be the absolute right answer, and if it doesn't work, then you talk about it and work through it and learn from it. You know, so ultimately, you know, the the essence of these conversations, it's not like this two-way give and take, right? It's this spotlight. You know, we could almost think of it, and this is not the best analogy, but <laughs> it's just to illustrate, right? So if, if you go to a therapist or a counselor, right, it's not the therapist doesn't say to you, oh, Hey, I hear you. You're depressed. Let me tell you about my depression, right? <laughs> they recognize that that's not their role. And while these one-on-ones are not therapy sessions, they do resemble some of the characteristics of taking an interest in others' narratives. Sure. So anything we can do to do that, and then you'll be rewarded for it, right? Because, you know, there's a, such a strong connection with these one-on-ones being done well and employee engagement and re- employee retention, and so you'll, you know, you'll benefit from the more non-egocentric, you know, facilitation you do. 
you know, Stephen, we we coach and train and support so many large companies, which which obviously means that in uh, with that we coach and train and support so many leaders within those companies. And I can already hear them listening to this and the messages that I'm going to get. Of they're like, this is all great in theory, but I'm super busy. And I don't have the time to yeah. do these one-on-one meetings so deep because what if we don't get to what I wanted to talk about? So I know that you must get this objection. How, how do you work with those leaders? Oh, I love it. So first of all, this is one of those activities that will actually save you time. So when people have predictable cadences, when they know they're going to get you as their manager, they actually, you know, what, what appears to happen is they they don't interrupt you throughout the week as much because they know they have this predictable time. So that's a benefit, right? Um, you know, second, when you have these one-on-ones, employees' performance, team performance improves. So there's less rework, less problems to solve. Um, so as a result, you're saving time that way because employees are getting it right the first time. Furthermore, these one-on-ones build alignment and that also winds up saving time. So we have less interruptions, more effectiveness and more productivity. These are great. And, and if your best employees are staying with you because they actually feel fully seen, there's so much time savings associated with that. I would say further that one-on-ones they're actually not optional. It is core to effective leadership. The best leaders don't see them as an, you know, as an extra activity or an if time activity. It is literally, literally where leadership happens. It's that one time that is just clear that you are being a leader to that direct. So it's just something that you have to do and you have to do it well. And ultimately, it actually saves time. Um, it's not just like, you know, all the laments about, oh, I have another meeting, I have another meeting. That's just not the case. And there was an alternative title for my book. And the alternative title was The One Meeting That Should Not Be an Email. And that actually is meaningful. This is not a meeting that should be an email. This is an email about genuine connection and it is the core of leadership. It is the proper investment to really realize incredible gains, including more time. You said something earlier that I don't think enough people talk about, which is that this this true effective relationship building and leadership not only saves time in the long run because it, uh, to your point, increases effectiveness, increases productivity, but above all, it retains. And I don't think enough companies, enough leadership put enough thinking time around the cost of losing great, great people and having to rehire and having to retrain. I mean, anyone who has gone through that process can attest just how frustrating it is. And by the way, that's also a message for those who have managers out there that you you on the other side can coach them up to say, this is what I need in order to continue to remain here. This is what would make me somebody who wanted to stay here forever. Yeah, yeah. And just building on that, you know, we collected data from employees about their whether, you know, their preferred cadences around one-on-one. So first of all, we asked them, do you want one-on-ones? And how often would you want them? I'm glad you're going to talk about this. That's literally what I was going to ask you next. Like, how often do we do this? 
All right. So employees absolutely want these things. Um, and they want them weekly or at most bi week, you know, every other week. And what was really interesting, Nikki, is that the more senior leaders actually wanted them even more than the junior leaders, the newer leaders. And, and this is because they know, they know how critical FaceTime is with their manager. And so employees absolutely desire these. They, they want them. And what's interesting is the research is also super consistent with the, the value of weekly or every other week. Um, and that that seemed to promote the most employee engagement gains when they're monthly, we don't see the same, the same benefits. You just don't have that, that continuity. They're kind of plagued with recency effects. So everything aligns with the importance of a weekly or every other week, um, one-on-one. And these things can vary in time, you know, depending on how many directs you have, you know, if it's 20 minutes to 40 minutes, it's fine. You know, what's really important is the predictability. What's really important is that just the employee knows they have your undivided attention at this particular cadence. So cadences absolutely matter. And we also have to be careful of our own stereotypes that just because someone is senior, that they don't need these things. And they do. And if they're successful, we often have a stereotype that they don't need these things. They do. And if we see these employees, you know, whether they're remote or in person, you know, the people in person who still casually bump into you, that doesn't replace the need for these. So that's some of the the insights around cadences and preferences. Well, I have to imagine too. I mean, I know so many managers who just have death by God a minutes. And I have to imagine that having this regular cadence helps to alleviate some, if not all of that. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. So in this, I, I, I hear in the process that, that we want them to create the agenda and we, and we want to put the spotlight on them. And part of this is not just building the relationship, but also uh, building, obviously, productivity and their development. And you talk in the book about this, like how, how to sort of manage this, this delicate balance within that relationship. So how do you do that in these meetings? Because obviously, your, your job is to create productivity for the company if you're the manager. And yet you're here with the, uh, with the team member to focus on their development and to make it all about them. So I can see a manager getting lost in that and not maybe getting out of the meeting what they wanted to. So, so how, how do you balance all of that? So as a manager, you obviously have the power, you know, if you need another meeting to discuss things that are on your mind, you have the ability to readily do that. Um, But, you know, we have lots of different ways that we can communicate with people. So the manager's needs can absolutely be addressed in a lot of different forums and a lot of different avenues. Um, But there is a really intricate balance in all this. Um, You know, one-on-ones, you're basically addressing two sets of parallel needs, practical needs and personal needs, right? So practical needs are just those really tangible needs, you know, to ask questions, give, get feedback, find solutions. Like those are the really practical needs. But then there's this personal needs, you know, the personal needs to feel respected and trusted. And um, those personal needs 
are really important. It's like the analogy is, you know, good food is the practical needs and the personal needs is good service. And if you have, you know, really good food and the service is terrible, you still had a bad experience. So the personal needs are the ones that often managers struggle with. You know, we just want to stay really tactical. And addressing the personal needs is just about active listening, you know, really being thoughtful, maybe even being vulnerable, right? Because the best managers actually are appropriately vulnerable. And that vulnerability serves to make others more comfortable being vulnerable and being safe. So it's just, so managing that balance of personal and practical needs, recognizing that if you have needs around the manager or the employee, that you can pursue those in many different ways, right? You can, you know, have another gathering or um, discussion, what have you, but this is just about the employee. And I have to, if I'm sitting in a, a manager seat and we're making it, like I said, entirely about the employee, I have to imagine that as that relationship grows, as that trust grows, there can sometimes also be challenges on the other side is that, uh, that we get too comfortable with each other, that we become friends. Do you see that ever happen? And it makes it challenging to, to have the harder conversations? So that, I mean, it certainly, certainly can, um, and, I, and there have been examples, but in general, the manager is not relinquishing their power. I mean, there's still going to be a massive power difference, right? There's still one party that's clearly asking the questions and the other party answering the questions. And so the, there's still, the manager is not giving up on their, their role. They're just enacting their role, right? They're using their power for good and trying to make this a really positive win-win. Um, you know, and I do want to say that you know, when managers are asking questions, right? So we talked about the listing approach. That's great. An alternative approach is a manager could come in with a set of core questions, right? Core questions about, you know, tell me about your biggest obstacles and challenges and how I can help, for example. And I lay out some of these potential core questions. And then, you know, so they can come up with these core questions or they could ask the direct for their input into what core questions. And then they should, the direct should know about these things in advance so they can start thinking about it. But here's what I wanted to share with you, because I, I know our time is not forever, is that asking good questions is just part of the equation. We actually want to think about the response scale associated with those questions. Let me say more about that, because it sounds kind of wacky. One of the most common questions to start a one-on-one -on -one is simply, how are you? Well, sadly, that question doesn't work, right? <laughs> when we ask someone, how are you? It typically triggers an automatic response. Oh, fine, good, great. Well, the research has an answer to this. If you ask someone, how are you? Thinking, you know, consider everything from work or non-work, how are you? But answer on a 10-point scale with one being horrible, 10 being great. How are you? When you ask it that way, now you're getting scores of sixes and sevens and fives, and now you have something to explore. Now you can say, ah, tell me more about that. Or what would help you become a 10, right? So you can see thoughtful questions and thoughtful response options can promote a really meaningful and genuine conversation. And that's what helps that balance, right? Where you're getting stuff done, but you're also addressing these personal needs and as a result, the experience is really meaningful. And that 
that is, I think, the key takeaway is that, you know, I, we ideally would love for all parties to leave the meeting going, wow, that was fabulous. But that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is meaningfulness. And that's what people crave these days, right? That's what COVID in many regards took away from us, was meaningful conversations with people. And these one-on-ones become that mechanism for meaningful and genuine conversations. And I'm going to so encourage everyone to pick up a copy of the book because at, at the end of the day, when whenever someone says, whatever their number is, I'm a four, I'm a five, I'm a six, I'm an eight, I'm a two, whatever it might be, we have to be prepared to unpack whatever that means. And that, to your point earlier, is just getting really good at asking great questions. And the book gives so many great examples of questions that you can ask and how and how to have these conversations. Because I would offer that I think so many, and I'm sure you see this in, in working with the organizations that you do, I think so many managers resist this simply because they're afraid that they might not know how to handle it if somebody says I'm a two. Or or maybe the somebody says I'm an eight, but they're failing at work and they're not sure what to do with it after after that response. Yeah, but your goal is not to be a therapist, right? So if someone says there are two, you can absolutely say, help me understand that. And if the issues that are keeping them are, are two are really about personal family issues, I mean, you can refer them to an EAP, right? There's options that you still can do as a manager that allows you to be present and helpful, So, you know, you're not a therapist, you're a manager, but you also know more about the resources available to employees. You've been around likely more, so you have ideas on how things can be addressed. So it might be the case that you're helping just direct someone to someone else that can help. You don't always have to be the person that helps, but you can help the process, you know, evolve. Yeah, I think that's a really important specification. You don't need to save them from this situation and you can help facilitate them figuring out the the answer to this, what whatever it may be for them. Right. So we talked about some of the processes that people go through. How do you close one of these meetings? Because I find personally, this is this is my selfish question. I find that to always be the most awkward part of these of these types of meetings that I just sort of look at the person, I'm like, okay, all right, we're done now. Time to go. Yeah. Right. So you're not alone. Uh, a lot of people struggle with that. And they, the fact is these meetings need a more proper close. You know, with two or three minutes left, the manager has to stop and say, all right, before we end, let's recap. Let's identify, you know, the action items that I have and what your take- takeaways are. You know, are we all on the same page? And let's identify the things that we want to park and talk about at our next one-on-one. Those are the three core pieces of a proper closing. And then it has to be documented. And what's really interesting, Nikki, is that the research strongly shows that when a manager takes out a notebook and their pen and they start writing in a notebook, it's a signal to the employee that, wow, they really took this seriously. There's something very different that seems to be triggered when you see someone jotting down notes of what was talked about. So this is a way of just bringing the conversation together. And I would argue that the close, I mean, there's, it is essential to get that right. And you know, no one should leave their one-on-one wondering what was decided, right? It should be clear to all parties. So that's part of the, the new habit. You know, the habit is three minutes before the meeting is done, you start the close. 
this is something that I took away that I that's gonna, a, a non-negotiable moving forward with my team is is getting agreement in the recap too. You talk about this in the book, and I think this is so important because I can't tell you how many meetings, and I'm sure every manager listening to this it can can resonate. I can't tell you how many meetings I had where I always say I had one meeting and the team member had a different meeting. Like we were just in two totally different meetings somehow, and and had I recapped yeah. it more efficiently, I would have realized that sooner, not realizing after the fact. No, that's not at all what I thought we talked about, or not at all the agreement that I thought we came to, or not at all the action item I thought we had. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's amazing how many conversations people leave with completely different messages. I mean, it's it's just a funny part of human nature. So yeah, this is designed to help prevent that. And then, you know, we can enter these notes into perhaps a shared Google Doc or something like that. And then over the course of the time between one-on-ones, people might add to it. They might add, you know ask questions and you can provide some answers. Right. So this document that can be created associated with, you know, all your various directs can actually be a more natural way of monitoring progress on different tasks. Right. So you could put in the shared, you know, once there's clarity on priorities, you know, then the direct can do updates on the various priorities in that shared document as opposed to the conversation. And then only if there's a problem, you know, there could be a, a conversation. You know, one of the things that, you know, meetings went up in frequency greatly with COVID. And a lot of it was due to managerial insecurity. Namely, they felt that with a remote workforce, you know, ma- leadership management looked like just checking in with people, right? Constantly asking them, how, wait, what's going on with this task? What's going on with this task? And they started just over meeting as a result. And so we need to dial that back. That's just, people are really don't need that. Um, but they do need meaningful connections. And we do need to start leveraging other technologies to monitor work. And, you know, unless there's a problem, you know, what do we need to get into the weeds for? You know, let's manage outcomes, right? If the employee is producing the outcomes that are necessary, we should be pleased. We don't have to get into the weeds on everything. Yeah, I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag that. Manage outcomes and not the weeds. I also think this is so helpful for you as a manager to have this running document because I've, I've always done notes in my one-on-ones because I don't know about you, Stephen, but I just forget. Like, I just forget what we talked about. There's so much in this brain that I just will completely forget. Not that, Not because it doesn't matter. There's just so much information flowing through. Oh my gosh, you're so right. And one of my favorite ways of starting a one-on-one is when a manager says, you know, Nikki, I remember you said that you were working on X. How's that going? When you do that in a follow-up meeting, like that conveys, that is another one of those signals that you actually care, that you listened, right? That you prepared. And so we do need to, to document in some way. We, we do forget and that's okay, but we have basic technologies that will allow us to not forget. For sure. And if you think about each of us personally, right? The thought of, I mean, think about how special we feel when someone, when our manager just remembers our birthday or remembers something with our kids, right? We just feel seen. We don't feel like just a piece of the puzzle. And so when we take these notes, we draw some connections and you could just imagine that the value of one-on-ones keeps increasing more and more and more. And this is also why the monthly cadence doesn't work as well, right? Because it doesn't create that continuity. 
But once you start going with one-on-ones, like, and you do them right, oh my gosh, you'll you'll see the value just, oh, it just it explodes. I'm so excited to take some of these principles back and I uh, to, to my own team. And I know our listeners are, are going to be so excited to use this because like, like we talked about at the very beginning, I think this is one of the most undervalued, underutilized and, and undertaught <laughs> places of, of leadership. And so I'm so thrilled for everyone to get to read the book. Uh, and I, I, unfortunately, I want to keep you here all day because I have even more questions. Uh, <laughs> and I, we always ask at the end of this podcast, even What's the one thing, if someone could take one thing from this podcast, if our listeners could take one thing from our time together, what's the one thing that you would want to take away from our conversation or for one-on-one meetings in general? Sure. That one-on-ones are not an optional activity. It is your time to truly be the leader that you want to be. It's the one time where you can express your values of elevating others. And here's the added benefit. When you look at the research on life satisfaction, one of the greatest predictors of life satisfaction is helping other people. So that to me is the key takeaway, that one-on-ones are a mechanism to help others and by doing so lead a rich and meaningful life. And the added bonus is that everyone's more productive, everyone's more effective, and it all reflects well on you as a manager. Well, Stephen, you must be very satisfied because you are out there helping a lot of people, myself included today. So thank you. And I want... I wish you would share with our with our audience also how you're helping even more through this book. So can you share you it was a little tidbit you shared with me and I'm going to put you put you on the spot and have you share with everybody else. But this this book wasn't it wasn't just written for you. It's really written to help and I know the proceeds are all going to charity. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I do the science and I write these books cuz I do I just I want them to be useful and valuable and, and help people realize their full potential. And I hate asking people to buy my book, even though I really want them to buy my book. And to address that, it's just, I'm donating every penny I'm making from it to the American Cancer Society. And, you know, I hope that that makes it even easier for folks to get this information So you can buy the book if you want to learn about one-on-ones. You can buy the book if you want to help the American Cancer Society. But the one thing I can guarantee you, the better you do your one-on-ones, your leadership journey will only improve. So true. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being here today. If people want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you? So I have a very strong LinkedIn presence. So you can find me on LinkedIn at, you know, Stephen Rogelberg. My website is just a resource center. That's kind of how I designed it. Um, so if you go to stevenrogelberg.com, stevenrogelberg.com, um, I just have various HBR articles I've written. I have tools and all kinds of things I think could be helpful. Also, my email is on there. And I'm very happy to chat with folks who have questions. You know, they, I do the science because I want to get the science out there. And so I'm very happy to help those who, you know, reach out and, you know, have some concerns or worries or, you know, just some inquiries. 
Well, I'm going to remind you that you offered that when our audience is all reaching out how to do their one-on-ones better. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to be getting some inquiries from this. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This was enormously helpful to me. I know it's going to be extremely helpful to our audience, and I'm so thrilled for them to get the book. Glad We Met comes out January 9th, and I'm so thrilled for y'all to read it. It's just really an incredible resource, and I know it's going to be a staple for me moving forward. So thank you so much, Stephen, for the book and for being here today. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it, Nikki. See everybody next time. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on -on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.